Right, I think I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Right, I don't know about you, but I think it's time for another podcast episode. Mm, the better fan has been a naughty boy for the last couple of months. He hasn't released an episode. Right, but that's not a problem because I'm back. Anyway, it's been an interesting year for everyone, uh, including myself. I consider myself very fortunate. I've been able to work from home, which in the beginning gave me quite a lot of extra time. But uh, as the year has gone on, things have got a little bit more uh, intense and work has required more of my attention. And that just meant that I couldn't devote uh, that attention to creating podcast episodes. But like I said, I'm back. Right, so in this, week, uh, in this week's episode, I chat to Jessica from uh, Open Roads. Uh, Jessica lives in Melbourne, Australia, but she's traveled around the world through uh, Asia, Europe, and North America. She also happens to be uh, one of the Royal Enfield ambassadors. But while chatting to her, I found out that her passion is creating good quality documentaries. So, without wasting any time, here's this week's episode. Anyway, listen, it's great. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, you know, I love, uh, you know, um, trolling through um, Instagram and then coming across all these, um, these you know, Instagram profiles of, uh, you know, adventure riders around the world. And especially it's always great to see, uh, to see women out there riding, doing these, uh, these rides. So that's the reason why I uh, dropped you a message and asked you to come onto the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. you based you based in Melbourne. Yep, I'm from Melbourne. Um, I'm not normally in Melbourne. Um, okay. Basically, like I was born here, and um, I have a, a base here, um, okay. which is just basically a house that I rent. But then I, you know, fly around the world and ride my bikes, and I'll come home periodically to reset and you know catch up with people. And yeah, I'm very lucky to be Australian because right now it's probably one of the best places to be. Um, we have a very good system and like, I'm still in lockdown. So yeah. our system's so good that it's actually stifling. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because um, I, I actually follow a podcast there. Um, they're based there in Melbourne. Um, uh, it's the, uh, the Daily Talk Show. Uh, and so, I mean, they do a podcast every day. So I'm like, normally, unfortunately, in the last month, I haven't really been able to keep keep up to date with all their podcasts but yeah I've, I've i've been listening to how things have gone through the different phases there um in australia with regards to lockdown so i don't know if you know yeah. much about south africa <laughs> i actually don't and you know what i think there's sometimes a magic to that you know going to a place and not knowing anything about it and i think a lot of people they try and prepare as much as they can and maybe they feel a little bit embarrassed so they don't know anything um but yeah. for me i always find it special to know nothing about like for example you i know nothing about you and i find oh, that good. so magical because i'm gonna find out everything today you know yeah good uh, same as everybody, so. well don't worry, I, know, I know nothing about you either so i've just seen a i've just seen an instagram profile yeah <laughs> like i, I did I a think bit of instagram research is, yeah my instagram is um i think fairly accurate to be honest okay, about who i am good. like everything that i write is written from me or everything i've said i've said and uh, it pretty much tracks probably my progress from like when I started to now and how I was at the time. So it's kind of interesting. Like when I'm older, I might look back and then see like how I was versus how I am then. It's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a nice thing because for a long time, I, I wasn't really on, you know, Instagram posting my own stuff. I was like, you know, following everyone else. And then the one day I realized, but you know, it's actually, it's actually great to record you know, the things that you're doing and that kind of thing. And then being able to go look back on them and, yeah. you know, realize, oh yeah, shit, I actually had a good time that weekend or whatever. Cause like, I mean, you take photos sometimes, you know, I'm the guy that'll do a three day trip and whatever. And I won't take one photo. Well, I used to be that guy. Like now yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I've got to, I've got to post something on Instagram. So I've got to take a photograph. So then I tend to take photographs and, uh, you know, and like you say, it's good to be able to go back and have a look at those things yeah. and actually remember you know, especially if it's, um, you know, bike trips that you've done. Yeah, 
definitely. I think like it's pretty much the same as every single thing in life. You just have to have a really good balance because either like I think it's really special when you can go somewhere and not bring your phone or anything and just actually remember it as it was and really be present. And because I'm filming and I'm taking all this content, shooting content all the time, for me, those moments are actually really special now. And I really pride, pride myself on like making sure I leave my phone at home. Like on, on the weekends, I just leave my phone in my house and I don't bring it. And I, and I think like that's, you know, for me personally, when I go out on my motorbike and I'm camping in the wild, which is more my style of thing. So there's like different types of adventurous people. Uh, everyone's different. Mm-hmm. And I like to go out, you know, in the middle of nowhere on my motorbike and ride in like pure wild. And for me, I think a part of that magic is like not having your phone, not having reception, not having battery. So yeah, I like to leave my phone at home when I can. Yeah. Oh, that's it's good. That it's, I wish I, you know, like when I first started doing this, I did probably more crazier stuff than I am doing now. And I didn't film any of it. I didn't, there's nothing for people to see. No one knows about it. And it's like that stuff would have really would have been interesting for people to see. So that's the stuff that goes in the book later, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you already planning the book? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I actually started writing a book. Um, my first one, like the start of this year, I started okay. writing it about uh, a trip I did last year, just as kind of a, a, a tester to see how it went. Um, because yeah, my story, like when I started, honestly, I don't think it's like five years ago. Um, like it was really interesting. The first two years was like a really crazy story and it would, you know, I, I don't tell anyone the story because I'm not a very good storyteller, like verbally. So um, I think for me, like showing people or or writing about it later, like might be better, more captivating. That's great. So like, when did it all start for you with regards to motorcycles and adventure riding? Um, So with the motorbike stuff, I feel like I can never really, it's like a slippery question for me this. And I think it's so slippery because it must be so, so deep within like who I am, you know, those questions that are just really hard to answer. But in terms of like, when did it actually begin? I guess like five years ago, uh, I have to check the date, but five or so years ago, I was working as a um, designer in, you know, consulting, you know, um, just in a studio. And I don't know, I was just like so bored with what life was. And I think that's like something so many people can relate to because I'm just, I don't think it's natural for us to be living like as we are in these, in these workplaces full time in these, you know, in in the cities, it just doesn't, for me anyway, I couldn't really ignore it. So um, I got a motorcycle because my boyfriend at the time had one. And basically like, I was like, well, okay, you know, that seems kind of interesting. Then we broke up and then I got it. Um, And mostly I don't, honestly, I think I just, I got it for the challenge. And that's something that I do a lot of the time is like, I'll choose something just to see, like if I can do it and if it can change my life in some way. So yeah, I got a bike. Um, I was too nervous to pick it up from the store. Um, it was a tiny, like 150 CC, 125 CC Honda. It was like the, it's like the training bike. It's like almost a scooter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I was so afraid. Like I couldn't, I just could not think of the idea of picking it up because the store was like in the middle of our CBD. So uh, I got a friend to pick it up. He brought it over and then, I remember the first time I like had to get on it and have a go. And I was like, just, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And uh, when I was younger, um, funnily enough, like my dad refused to teach me to ride a motorbike and would only wanted to teach my brother. So that's the first experience I had. And then um, like when I was 16, so probably 10 years later, say, or less than that, uh, I had some friends who had dirt bikes and they got me on one, but didn't teach me. So I was like flying along and, you know, so afraid because I have no idea how this thing works. And I vowed I would never ride one. And then another so years. And then I got this and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then, and then when did you like, I'm, I'm sure you upgraded eventually. What, so what made you yeah. upgrade to the next one? <laughs> I'm not sure if upgrade's really the right word. I think more like stupidly picked from a random selection is probably the best way to describe it because okay. I actually had no idea what I was doing. And um, I, I just, uh, honestly, I just went to Europe. I found the city that would let me buy a bike. I, I went to Berlin. Turns out you can't buy a bike as a foreigner in Germany anyway, but I managed to get somebody from Airbnb, which had just started up at the time. 
to like buy it for me under his passport, like my host. <laughs> and it was a BMW 650 because in Germany, they're really yes. cheap. So yes. I got this mad BMW 650, like it's the fun duo type. They yeah. are like the best bikes, <laughs> ugly as hell, <laughs> so good. Yes. And um, yeah, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. And that's why, that's why I think it's a good story because it really shows people that you don't have to be like anything um, super special or really smart at, with bikes or know anything and you can just have a go. So yeah, and I'm really passionate about that. Obviously, just before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, you know, what sort of ride did you do when you were in Germany? Did you just... So, from there, um, I had this idea of doing a lap around Europe. So, for over the course of two years, um, I lived in a tent and rode my motorbike around Europe. I, the most scariest thing for me is that I knew nothing about either of those things. I never camped really on my own and I'd never ridden a bike. Like, I had my 125 for three months, I think it was. And then I bought the 650. And actually, the best part of that buying that was that on the way there, I was riding a bicycle and I crashed. And then when I got to the store... I took it for a test drive and crashed a bike. Like it fell over on me on the pavement. Couldn't pick it up. So this guy in Germany, he, had to, he was just like walking past. He helped me and he like showed me. I was like, great. First things first is like, now I know how to pick up a bike. And then I like rolled it back into the store and I was like, I'll buy it. <laughs> I bought it and then I got back on it and had to ride um, through Germany. And obviously it's the other side of the road. So I'm like really yeah. terrified, but. Yeah. Um, and then it was just honestly, like every day was something new, you know, from like, I had no idea how to strap luggage onto a bike. I just didn't even think about how I was going to do that. And then yeah. I got there and I was like, Oh no, like, how does, how does it, how do you even do this? Like, I don't even know how to tie a rope, let alone, I don't even know that you can you use jockey straps. Like it's such a small, like, of course now I know how to do it and you know, everyone will know how to do it. That's like, but I just never been exposed to that. So yeah. And then I rode from Germany to the top of Norway, like across through Sweden, down literally through everything. Um, I skipped Russia, which was probably like my biggest regret. And I skipped it because uh, somebody along the way had told me at the time there was like a lot of tension. I think that was before um, like Russia was kicking off with Ukraine. So yeah, it was just a bit of, and I, but I regret it because I'm like, all the times I ever listened to somebody, those are the times that I shouldn't have. I uh, should have yeah. just done what was right for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost go with your gut feel rather than. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. there's like, and this is, I'm super passionate about this. It's just like people have this idea of keeping everybody safe all the time. And, and I don't think it's necessarily true. Like we're not supposed to live like that. And I don't think it's not wise for me to be spreading this like idea that we should all be um, like super, super risky or taking all these risks because there's a lot of people who do that and, they might not do it in the right way either. But it's like, yeah, telling people that they shouldn't do something when you've never done it yourself and when you really don't have the right information is not helpful for people. And really what you should be doing is trying to assess, like, is it right for them and asking them the questions. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I see this a lot with, like, women. Um, when I take people, when I take women on tours and stuff, like, and if they might be afraid... For example, there's one situation a girl was riding and she was really afraid to like do this particular part. And like the boys in the car ran over and said, oh, okay, yeah, and tried to like take her off it and take over. And they were in the support vehicle. So they felt, I guess, like, you know, oh, we'll just do it. It's fine. But I just said to them, like, well, can you ask her, like, do you want to do this? You know, and, and if she doesn't, cannot, can't we just like help her do it? Or can we just hold the bike? Or like, and she was like, you know what? And she looked at me, she's like, yeah, okay. Like I, I want to do it. And we just held the back of the bike and helped it down. It's like one of those things where you just got to ask people like how much, like what do they want to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So going back to your, 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 your starting point in Germany, you, you said you didn't even know how to tie the luggage onto the, onto the bike. So how did you plan for that trip? Or did you do any planning? Did you like, Okay, no, what are you going to no take planning. with you? <laughs> what are you going to take with you? I did no you? planning. The only thing that I planned was I was going to bring a hiking pack, which was the complete wrong thing to do because you can't tie a hiking pack on the back of a motorbike. <laughs> but for some reason, I was like, you absolutely can. And I bought this really expensive hiking pack because I was going to, you know, ride around, live in my tent and hike, like when I, you know, stopped. Yeah. Well, obviously that didn't work because <laughs> I had so much luggage, I couldn't fit it on. Um, so I basically got two, like, massive, I think they're like, 
what were like 60 to 100 liter bags two of them on top of each other on the back and because i had all this expensive stuff and i was like way too overloaded i was in germany and i should have shipped some of it home but i was just so naive that um but yeah i remember this first day and it was so hot and i'm trying to leave and i you know i've got nowhere to go in germany and i've got to get to the next place and you know you just really want to leave it's those moments when you really want to leave that it's so frustrating when you can't and i just could not figure out how to tie these bags on <laughs> such a simple thing um yeah so it was just the first of many i actually ended up getting rid of that bag uh gave that backpack to somebody in latvia and just left okay. it there with a bunch of stuff and i just started unloading stuff and leaving it and i never got that stuff back but it doesn't really matter yeah it's, it's school fees you can call it school yeah. fees. <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like i would much rather lose money and have a go and yeah. get there faster than to like be so precious about trying to get all the money stuff right because it just takes you just never get it right you know yeah you get the trap so like out of all of those countries that you went through which one did you enjoy the most um so from so since then i did two years in europe and then i did america um which was so so good i did some of america like the west coast uh, i've done india nepal like done around australia um and sri lanka and a bunch more things but anyway um and so out of the first lot norway was my favorite and to be honest probably since then i know like nepal is such a special place and each country really is special in its own way but i think it's more the answer is more about like i guess what was so special to me and and i think the answer is because norway was kind of first cab off the rank like i went from germany to denmark and both of those places were pretty like built up but then i went to norway and it was so wild and i was you know wild camping for the first time so for me like not only is norway the most amazing place but like i was also just living in an amazing way that was really free to me and that i don't think many people have the chance to experience these days i was mm. like eating berries and like sharing waterfalls and um like camping on my own and didn't speak to someone for like three weeks it was like the longest it was like two to three weeks and I hadn't spoke to anyone before and it was like a really lonely time but also really beautiful and just like you just pinch yourself every day yeah that's great that's great so you said you've done you've done um like America and you've done you know some of Asia and all that kind of stuff I mean had you already in your mind worked out where you were going to go next after after Europe or did it was just something that you okay Nah, like so i mean i was supposed to be going down africa after europe the idea was that i just keep going and i got to morocco and i just had a really bad time um not with morocco or anything but just in my life things started happening to me which was making it really difficult to go on, on my own um i was dating somebody and like you know he cheated on me for the millionth time and i had to deal with that and then my grandma died and i didn't get to say goodbye and that all happened on like you know the same day and then my bike broke and so these things happening to me and i i couldn't catch it like i just was i just got into a bit of a place where travel for me was becoming like it wasn't special anymore i was just riding to kind of ride away from the problems that i was having okay. so i got to morocco that happened sort of around that happened in france i took another like same month rode through spain and portugal um and i, I was finding it really difficult to really like enjoy it um I was meeting amazing people and stuff but yeah and then i then i started riding through morocco and i started doing stuff that just felt like like really careless um you know i was riding in places that were really dangerous and i had no i mean i had no equipment with me for off-roading but i was just doing it for the first time i was like you know what don't care i was going um to these crazy crazy steep hills had no stuff to repair a puncture no tools mm. never brought a tool with me didn't know how to fix anything uh and like at some point i got to the bottom of morocco to the sahara desert and i just was like i can't do this anymore and i had this idea of my sister at home i just like really just wanted to go home for the first mm. time so i turned around and then um and the last the second last day i got my first puncture of the trip in the middle of nowhere but i didn't know what a puncture felt like so i just kept riding and i <laughs> rode all the way into like a t uh, the last town it took hours and i was like I, my steering feels awful but i was like oh, i don't know what it is but i just kept going and then <laughs> like stopped at this place this like random restaurant and when i got out again it was like oh no i've got a flat tire i can't move my bike <laughs> so i by not because that's the trick right if you've got a flat tire just don't stop because the air 
won't mm. come out. And so I actually did the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then the next day I, um, I had like 30 minutes to go on the trip. I was about to cross back into Spain and take a flight home. And I, um, I came around a corner and I like fell off the bike. I slipped on some diesel or something and came off around a hundred. And, uh, but I was like, to be frank, pretty down at the time. So this sounds super morbid, but yeah. um, when I hit the ground, I was really relaxed. Like I wasn't, I wasn't uptight. It was like, just kind of like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I remember thinking like, just things were, I was sliding really slowly. I could see the bikes like sliding with me. And um, I just had this thought, I was like, oh, I really hope that like, there's not a car, you know, this, but it was such a like, I just kind of hope like, there's no panic in it at all. Um, and I woke up against the banister in the middle of the highway and kind of came to and um, some guys ran over and tried to start like yanking my helmet off and like they were waking me up and um, obviously that's the worst thing you could do. You should never do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, after that, had some injuries, but sort of just kept going. I don't know. For me, like biking is just, I don't know. It's just absolute freedom for me. It really does give yeah. me so much joy. So, so yeah. what did you do with the bike? I mean, was the bike okay off to the off to the? Yeah, so accident? the bike survived because it had these crazy big panniers on them. Um, <laughs> these massive aluminium panniers. Oh, it looked awful. Like yeah. it was the ugliest bike. <laughs> I had this huge um, 60 liter top case on it that could carry eight pizzas. And I know this because I carried the pizzas one time <laughs> in England. Um, I was like, don't worry, guys, I've got it. Yeah. Um, so that bike, I ended up selling it. Um, I had a friend who was in Ireland. He sold it for me. And okay. that was bad, but yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, the next trip was just like by accident. Um, I think that was America after that. Yeah. I, um, some friends of mine want to go to Burning Man. Burning Man Festival and um, yeah. I was like yeah okay so I put in an application as well and nobody got the application but me <laughs> and it's so hard to get a, like it's so hard to get um, a ticket so I was like well I guess I better go on my own and that was like really scary but yeah so I was like well if I'm going to America I may as well do a good job so <laughs> I bought a motorbike in um, California and rode around it was cool and what bike did you buy when you were there uh, I had a DR650 Okay. One of my, like, it's just, I love those bikes. They're just, I mean, they're so amazing. They do anything. Um, yeah. So I bought, and I was really lucky. The bike I bought was just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal bike. It had like, it'd been kitted out as well. Had a huge tank. Um, like it was, it was cool. Really cool. So that took me everywhere. And then that was actually pretty interesting. Cause um, that's the first time I was really riding sand. I tried to ride sand out there on my own. And then I realized I was being really unsafe about that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> on my own, again, no tools. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, where, so where all did you go in America? So I uh, bought my bike in, um, in San Fran, around San Fran. But actually, I had a friend who bought it for me, which was really okay. cool. Um, yeah. Manish, yeah, really lovely guy, helped me buy that. And, and that was really lovely because like, it can be a bit difficult to buy bikes in different countries. So anyway, uh, I rode from there, I rode across um, like to the other side of the mountain range. There's a mountain range that spans like down um, from Lake Tahoe. I think it probably goes even north of that. And then down, sort of down to the bottom, I guess like LA and all that on the coast, they follow like with this mountain range. So I kind of crossed over at the top near Lake Tahoe. And then I followed the mountain range on, on the east side of it. And I would dip in. So I dipped into Yosemite, for example, and I went down and then I crossed across, um, oh, what's it called? Um, the desert, um, what's it called? It's super hot. Anyway. Yeah. Crossed across there and across through to Arizona and then it kind of gets a bit, blurry um but yeah did some of moab and then um up and then basically had to make it across to burning man which is back kind of like near lake tahoe it's it's not that far but um and that that was like that was going to be such a hectic ride so i hired a um a massive truck like i'd never driven a truck before this is so stupid as well hired this <laughs> massive truck from u-haul and i put my bike in the back and i drove it across and slept in it and slept at walmart in the back of this truck one night <laughs> so yeah <and> then, <laughs> yeah it was so scary i had no idea how to do this truck 
And like license-wise, I mean, did they, could you, because, you know, like here in yeah. South Africa, you would have to have a, like a Code 10 or, or you know, yeah, a no, special license crazy. to I drive have... it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it, it might have just been like just below the limit of what you needed, but it was okay. still a huge truck. Like it was, it was a big, big, I don't know how big, but like a removalist truck big size. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was like, the guy who sold it to me was high. So I have no idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just worked. <laughs> that's actually true. I had no tie downs for my motorbike. Um, so he actually took me on his back of his Harley. I think this guy who gave me the U-Haul and we went and got some tie downs from the store and came back and he gave me the car, the truck and off I went. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> And I just listened to country music, American country music along the the road through the desert. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, yeah, so for these uh for those kind of trips you weren't you weren't recording anything or creating any content as you were going along? Well, I've like I've got some photos. I didn't record any video stuff. Cause like back then, I don't know, it wasn't like it was now, I guess. Things have really heated up the past few years. Or potentially like maybe I'm just seeing the value of it now. But yeah. um, I've got some little tiny bits of video, mostly just like photos. Um, yeah, I probably should have. I mean, I've got mm. GoPro footage from all of my trips, but that GoPros back then aren't really that good. And no one wants to watch GoPro footage. They're more interested in like how you're actually feeling at the time. And that was probably like I, was, I wasn't mature enough to know how to talk to people on camera then. You know, I was a bit shy. And so now these days, like I've trained myself a lot. And um, I'm more comfortable. So, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. great. But I, I regret that because those trips were so special. And I, uh, the thing is, like, since those trips, I haven't um, been able to do one alone again. And I think that's been the difference. Like, I came back and I did a uh, trip around Australia then. And that's when I got sponsored by Royal Enfield. Um, that was the first time, yeah, that I, um, that's the first part of our partnership. And then that trip I took like a bunch of people around. It was kind of like a relay. People joined me and then they leave and I'd have to find someone new. And I, I made it the whole way around. And then, and then I started going to India and stuff with them. Um, and I've always been with other people. So I think like, I can't, it's really hard right now to plan for the future, but I'm thinking that I really need to do a trip on my own again. Just yeah. to kind of, yeah, it's a bit special. Mm. So, well, yeah. So tell me about the Royal Enfield thing. You're the Royal Enfield ambassador, what, in Australia or how does that work? Uh, yeah. Um, well, basically like I met them and I asked them, oh, you know, would you, I, I have a business as well. So I was okay. initially just talking to them about my business. You know, I've got this business and would you like to do something? Would you like to partner in some way? And also I want to do this trip around Australia with another girl. And like, would you like to be part of it? And they're like, yep. And they just gave us two bikes to go around Australia, which was awesome. It was like just the best thing ever. And when I came back, um, Royal Enfield, India were visiting and like it would just happen to be the same day. Oh, wow. Out of all the days in the year, you know, it was that day that we got home. And out of all the things that had happened to us, it meant like, because, you know, obviously you don't plan for a date really to be back. It just kind of falls because so much stuff happens. It's really hard to stay on track. Um, but yeah, I, we rolled up, we were so dirty and we said hi and showed them what we'd done. And then basically they invited me to India to come and speak and to um, attend their festival. And then I think when I was in India, I just didn't have a way of telling people like what I was doing for them. So I just started saying like, I'm an ambassador for them. And then it became a thing that I did kind of become one. And then now we have various people um, like all around the world. I think we have some in America um, and yeah, different countries. So I'm not sure um, in terms of like who else in Australia, but I think there's a couple of people. Okay, yeah. great. So, and I mean, are Royal Enfields popular in um, Australia? Yeah, they actually are. And the Himalayan is the bike that I ride. Okay. And it's just like for our country, I would actually, I haven't been to South Africa. I haven't, and I, I haven't been to Africa at all. I, obviously, it's my dream country. I didn't get the chance to make it. But sure. I would say it sounds very similar to Australia. Uh, in terms of just the terrain and like the wildness of it, right? So yeah. the Himalayan is kind of the perfect bike because it's super cheap. It's really easy to ride. Uh, out, like it doesn't break down. It's not. It's it's built for taking a beating, and you can take it anywhere, like on any surface. And I know this sounds like it really does sound like a sales pitch, but I'm I'm a big fan, and I'm glad that like I get to ride that bike. 
you know, yeah. I've, written, I've written so many of them. So I know the problems that I have and I know why they're awesome, but they just, yeah, they don't have that many problems at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to convert me on the Royal Enfield. The first time I saw Royal Enfield was, I was on a business trip to uh, India. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was in Bangalore and uh, I was standing, you know, like in, in, in India, there's just bikes everywhere. But they all these little one, two, fives and all that, you know, they're all you know, through the traffic. And the next minute you can hear this Royal Enfield coming down the road. And I thought, yeah, when I get back to South Africa, I'm going to see if I can try and find one of these. So, I mean, they're not, they asked, you know, they are around in South Africa, um, but they're not as popular as, you know, the other bikes. Um, yeah. I, I, do, I do own an Enfield myself. I've got a 2006 Bullet Electra, 500cc. And I mean, it just keeps on going, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I love riding them because they're like they're so easy to ride. They just I actually bought I actually bought that one that I've got. I bought that um, so that my daughters can learn how to uh, ride ride a motorcycle because I thought, oh, that's probably the best bike for them to learn on. You know, it's yeah. the kind of bike you can learn on and you can grow into it and you can still ride it for the next five or ten years, kind of thing, because it's quite capable. You know, like, okay, you're not going to go very fast on the highway, but um, you know, yeah. is, it is a very nice bike to ride. I haven't ridden in the Himalaya because, you know, the thing is like in terms of um, dealerships here in, in South Africa for uh, Royal Enfields, you know, they've come and gone, you know, the, the um, sort of like the agent for Royal Enfield in South Africa has yeah. changed so many times over the last couple of years. But um, uh, I, know th I know the woman down in Cape Town, she's got a Royal Enfield um, was South Africa. It's called Retso. And uh, actually, I've done a couple of podcasts with them. And uh, it sounds like that she's going to take over the um, the agency for Royal Enfield here in South Africa. Because she spent quite a lot of time in India. She was actually working yeah. in India for 10 years, I think it was. And she's built up a relationship with Royal Enfield in India. Cool. And it sounds like she's going to take it over. Yeah. So, and I think, awesome. I think, yeah, and I think it'll be great because I think she's very passionate about it. Um, mm. Yeah. So it's not like a normal motorcycle dealership that just happens to sell infields as well. I mean, she's specifically focusing yeah. on, on infields with tours and I mean, she, she's in Cape Town. I mean, what a beautiful place to ride a bike in Cape Town. Anyway. Uh, I know nothing about Cape Town at all. Well, I just you're going to have to come and visit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, Africa's like the dream dream country. So, yeah, I just I felt like I needed to build up some more. Well, now I feel like I need to build up some more skills. Like, in order to ride Africa, I really like to be able to take my bike apart and put it back together. And I'm pretty close to that. Like, I can't, I think in terms of, like, electrical stuff, I haven't got any knowledge of that yet. So it's probably limiting me. But uh, over the years, because of all the things that I've done and all the problems I face, I really learned a lot along the way. Yeah. Um, but in order to do Africa in the way that I like to do it, I would like to get to a place with my career where I'm filming it properly um, so that people can really see what it's like. And I'd like to be completely self-sufficient without making, well, I think the areas are kind of cool and funny. They're like, that's where the story's from. But I think Africa's one of the places I just want to be sure that I can just handle myself. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I think there's a lot of dangerous places. So I'd like to be sure that what yeah. I'm doing, I'm confident, you know? I yeah. think starting in Europe, I think it's cool to start in Europe, start in Australia. Actually, maybe not Australia. Start in Europe, start in America where, like, you got people around you. If you screw up, you can just ask for help. Like, mm. that's okay. Um, it's like training wheels going to those places. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. So um, I did a podcast with uh, this woman, uh, Kinga. She's mm -hmm. from originally from Poland, but she lived in, in Australia for, I think, 11 years or whatever. And then she also started touring. She went into Asia into Europe and she said to me that she was skeptical scared of coming to Africa because she thought it was going to be dangerous or whatever and uh, she said that um, you know now that she's been in Africa she just wants to spend the next two years riding around Africa and uh, she said what she's found and I mean oddly enough being a woman on a motorcycle actually intimidates the men in yeah. these African countries, because I mean, they traditionally, um, you know, the women don't do those kind of things. So when they see a woman coming through, 
on a motorcycle, they're like a little bit uh, skeptical, you know, yeah. so they leave you alone. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I mean, also the other side of it is that like, you know, typically when you see a female in need of help, like you'll probably get the help. So when you're on a motorcycle, you know, not only are you a female, you're already vulnerable, but you're, I would say when you're on a motorcycle, you're, you're still vulnerable because like everyone knows the things that can happen to you and you're exposed to elements. Um, so I think when you get stuck as a female on a motorcycle, like people want to help you. They, yeah. they, 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 they see that you're doing something like truly different and they're like, you know what, this person is probably really interesting and I want to help because that, that looks like a difficult situation. Whereas maybe if you're a man and you get stuck, they're going to think, oh, he'll sort it out. You know, like, <laughs> he'll sort it out. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of, I think that's why I've received so much help over the years and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. Um, so now but, after, um, yeah. no, carry on. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, um, I, I follow King. I think it's what she does is amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. I'd actually like to uh, do another podcast with her. Uh, Cause I mean, she's been stuck in Poland now um, yeah. under lockdown, but um, yeah, I'd like to, when she's done more of Africa, have her on again. And yeah, she's, she's great. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Um, so now that you've done all these trips and all that, so when you go on a trip now, I'm sure you like, you know, exactly what to pack, what to take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty I think much. the key is really just to take like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll tell you my go-to. My go-to is just grab a bunch of stuff in my hands and just throw it on the bed. That's how I do it these days. I feel like I just don't care anymore about what I bring in terms yeah. of like clothing and stuff. I just have, I have the same shirt that I had when I started. I've got the same pair of shorts. I have yeah. the same exact same clothes. And I, I really like clothing when they, they, they become ratty and they have a story. Cause I'm like, they've been with me the whole way. Um, yeah. So that stuff's easy, whatever clothes doesn't matter. Yeah. In terms of the setup for like bags, I'm pretty particular now about like my bag setup because okay. that stuff for me is like, that's the stuff that, makes them it makes your trip so much easier and that's something you it is in your control so like i have soft panniers on my bikes these days because i like to fly with my my bags um and i like to fly to different locations and ride there if i was doing another long overland trip from where i was i'd probably still use soft bags i think that they're like way uh, it depends like the ones that I have on the Himalayan, I had the aluminium ones and they kept pinning my ankle. It was becoming really dangerous. So I actually stopped using them, shipped them home. And I got um, some, some soft bags sponsored by Nasbag. She's like a lady here in Australia that makes bags. And then um, recently upgraded to Krieger. They have sponsored me for my India trip. And Krieger bags are like, they're insane. They're so good. I mean, the downsides are really expensive, but they're just amazing bags. Um, so I use those two on the back and then two 12 liter ones on the front. Um, so I have a combined, uh, and I have a lot of baggage because when the things I'm doing, like I'm shooting these days, high quality documentaries, they're not just like, you know, I, I feel like I just went from no, no content to like high quality content yeah, sure. and it requires a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah. yeah. So tell us about your, uh, the equipment that you using for your filming and like, uh, you know, how you're doing handling memory cards and batteries and what what yeah. equipment are you using um so these days i actually have a camera team so that helps not all the time but i'm moving towards having that every time for the big stuff so last year i got um the project in india half sponsored and i'll be doing a kickstarter in uh like i think october 30th we'll launch it to raise the amount of funds that like the rest of funds we need i think it's like ten thousand dollars to do the post-production for this film but basically, um, yeah, that situation, like I had two, um, two guys who I'd worked with before from Nepal. They came over and they were shooting with Black Magic. Black Magic is an Australian company, but it's phenomenal. I don't know if you know about it. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. It's, it's like, I actually met someone the other day who helped build these cameras. It's so cool. Um, and so that's like, that's a, if you're trying to create high quality films, that's a very good option because you can shoot in 4k and the only down, the downside to that is it's kind of like they're working on making the footage easier to use. Um, it's a special format that it comes out as I think. Um, but yeah, so they use that. They have, we have like, I think we were using a zoom H1 mic. It's like a small 
mm. like a recording thing. Um, so we just chucked that on with a lapel mic when I was speaking to camera or when anyone was speaking to camera. Um, I think we also had, we probably have like a little boom as well on the, it's because um, Blackmagic cameras are just a really small, it's not like anything super, super special. So that plus like a little boom mic. Um, myself, when I'm filming my documentary, so I've got one on my YouTube in Nepal, which I shot. That one, I've got a GH5 Panasonic. That camera I chose specifically for what I do because it has um, in-camera stabilization. It's super okay. important if you're riding a motorbike because if you're shooting on a motorbike, it's obviously like bumpy as hell. Mm. So a lot of people I've seen have cameras, but when they're on the back of a motorbike and they're shooting, like you can really see it's just super... Um, you know what I mean? Jolting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I decided to this, have this camera and it's awesome. Yeah. And this camera has been through war with me. Yeah. Oh, really? So, I mean, yeah. you're using that camera when you're riding. Yeah, yeah. I, I ride and shoot. Yep. And so anyone you... who comes with me, I, just, I ride one-handed or like um, I get to the stage <laughs> where I can stand up now on my bike and just kind of like pinch the tank and hold the handlebars with one and just kind of film, um, film backwards, <laughs> film this way. You can like get your mirror aligned like that so you can see the person behind you. You just chuck it over your shoulder and then you can see in the panel and so you just shoot like that and it looks cool. Yeah. So Oh that's great. That yeah. yeah, I've got a mate I've got a mate here um in South Africa. He's um a couple of years ago, he wasn't riding motorcycles. He wasn't into photography or anything, but he got into motorcycles, bought himself some good cameras. Now he takes um awesome photographs while we're all riding together and he's uh, like every time I go riding with him, I shit myself because I think he's going to bail. But he's, <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's using a Fuji film, but I mean, he's taking still photography. Yeah. But you must see the, um, the, f the photos that he's taking. They're like, they're unbelievable. Really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Fuji film's great. I, I think the thing is like, all cameras are pretty good. It's the lenses that you have with them and the lenses yeah. are super expensive. And then you have to choose like, well, how much space do I actually have on my, my you know, my bike and like, what's the best access point to put them? Like if I put my camera on my bike, where's the safest place to put it? So I'll like always set up now that I have a, um, either a top, like I don't like top cases, um, but I like to have like a duffel bag on the back and yeah. I'll put my stuff in that. But I'm actually designing my own like luggage now. I mean, okay. I've had, you know, ever since I started riding, I've had these ideas for how to make it 20 million times better and still no one's done it, but I just have to like, I just found a lot of problems that I can't, I can't really figure out yet. So I've been working cool. on it for a while, but cool. <laughs> yeah. That's I think great. like, if, I think if you can get people who do it, like, and you know, when you're living in that way, you find all the things that matter, that the problems. And so, yeah, I'd love to be able to solve those one day. Yeah, that's great. And then just going back to the camera, I'm, you know, when you were filming in Nepal, I mean, how do you do batteries and all that kind of stuff? Are you charging while you're on okay. the bike or? Yeah, batteries is hard. Like, so with this camera that I have right now, you can't actually charge it with a USB. And it's one of those things I had to toss up between having a camera that could and couldn't. I wanted a camera, obviously, that I could charge via USB. That'd be the best way to do it. Mm. But I found that for me, image stabilization was way more important. So I could just have more batteries, right? And, but I couldn't get, you know, stabilization added on. So um, I have like, three batteries and then um basically that would take me through like because in nepal there's not electricity everywhere you have mm. electricity like every third day sometimes it really depends like it depends on the wind actually so if it's super windy up where we go then that will mean they'll cut the power because if a power line falls over or crosses or whatever it can cause a lot of problems so they cut all the power throughout the whole like himalayan region um so you could be without power the entire time so I found I was without power maybe every second day, every third day. So I just charge in Nepal. I charge in charge in a tea house. Um, but when I'm doing like off-road trips and I'm camping, um, I try and do like every third day, like have a shower these days. So every third mm. day I'll try and go to a campsite or something, or you can always plug in in a, in a cafe. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, with, yeah. but I, I do have a USB <laughs> port on my bike. It's like a mandatory. Um, mm. And I do that cause like, I obviously need to have, you know, my phone, or my, my like sat nav, um, yeah, charged. Yeah. 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 So then, um, I mean, do you, have you got quad lock on your, no, you got a quad I don't lock have quad lock. Um, <laughs> no, I've got the shittiest stuff. Um, they're actually, I don't know. I'm, I really like them, but I'm, I'm just hesitant to recommend it to people right now. Cause I'm not sure if 
it's this particular model or if it's just the vibrations, but I've had two iPhones ruined by um, using them on my handlebars. Yeah. Cause it, they actually, um, they must shake something in the camera. And so yeah. you're, you get like basically after some time you go to like, you know, put on the photo or like take a video and it's like moving around and it stays, oh. it's just broken. Oh. <laughs> See, that's why you must stick with Samsung, man. Like I've, the <laughs> Sam, my Samsung's fallen off my bike plenty times. <laughs> I've lost it. I found it hanging in my crash bars uh, and the phone's still going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you what, I've got a MacBook Pro and this has been with me the entire time I've been going around the world. Like, I cannot believe it's only just started to have problems. It's like, cannot believe that. Uh, (laughs) And then um, memory cards. I mean, so are you shooting in what? In in, uh, HD or 4K? Yeah, yeah, I'm shooting in 4K um, because of the types of things that I want to do. Like, for example, I try, you know, I created a pitch for Netflix the other day for the documentary. Whether or not actually get through is another question but yeah like i'm gonna try and see what happens um because we i know that i have really good content that is really real and authentic and people it's a story people haven't seen before right um so anyway for, so for that stuff yeah definitely 4k if i was just shooting like like vlog stuff i probably shoot a lot in like 1080 just because it doesn't really matter anyway no one really watches 4k i think on youtube um yeah so i could be wrong yeah. but yeah oh, well. if you shoot in yeah yeah. It just depends like how like how much space you have on your memory cards. So yeah, I yeah, don't problem, Yeah, I don't <clears throat> and it takes a lot of like battery, I guess. Well, I don't know, yeah. it takes more battery. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah, I always shoot in 4K, I'm just 4K on the GoPro and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do you do with all your footage? I mean, you just have all the raw yeah. footage backed up on a on a hard drive or do you edit it and then just discard the the the, the no, original? I back or? everything up onto a hard drive. Um pretty much like every night, which becomes really tiring. If you don't have power though, it's a problem. So yeah. it would be like every couple of nights. Um, but I trust one hard drive and that is a huge mistake. I know mm. this, I shouldn't do this. You should always have two and they should probably be weatherproof hard drives and mine aren't. I've just always been like, well, I'm going to just not crash today. <laughs> I just have that mentality. I'm like, no, nope, not falling over in that river. I'm not crashing. And then just, nope. It's really not the way to go, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, well, I think it only has to happen once, and then you'll you'll fix the problem. Oh, yeah, I know. I really have you ever had any failures or lost any footage? Um, oh, I've had plenty of failures. There's, I mean, you fail almost every day. You forget to put to put the audio on. You, oh uh, yeah, so much stuff like it's out of focus. Um, like yeah, there's heaps <laughs> heaps of those lost stuff. Oh, probably. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but I'm glad nothing comes to mind straight away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me about your business. Is, is this the, um, open, open, ro- open roads, eh? open yeah, roads. Open roads. Yeah, yeah. So open roads like started as motorcycle rental marketplace, pretty much. That's what it started as. Um, okay. then I started doing motorcycle tours just for fun because I love doing it. I would take a couple per year. Um, and I think that that's how it will stay. I'll never, I'll never try and build this into a fully fledged tour business. I'm not interested in that being the main driver of my business, but okay. Essentially I do motorcycle rentals, motorcycle tours, um, motorcycle apparel and motorcycle content. And, uh, it's a lot actually. And Mm. motorcycle events now. And really I've like last year, I spent a lot of the year test testing, which things worked best for me. They all worked, which was great. So I've, I have a couple of different revenue streams at work. But really the motorcycle rally, open roads rally that I started last year, it was like just such a life-changing experience that I never predicted, um, which I could not imagine not doing now. And so that's probably going to drive my business for the next few years. Um, my plan is to like, obviously this year, I didn't, you know, I can't do any motorcycle rental stuff or any tours. I can't really shoot any content, but I can plan for the next rally, which is next year. Um, okay. So I had a hundred like up to a hundred people last year, I think, um, broke even, couldn't find anybody to help me organize it the whole year. Um, which was just nightmare. So I spent six months, got fired from my job cause I was working on it. Um, and I got it off the ground, which was just amazing. Cause out of these people who were like, they couldn't believe that, you know, uh, that it existed, this thing in essence, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, um, it was, it is uh, a motorcycle rally for adventure riders, but for beginner and amateur adventure riders, for people who want to learn how to 
maybe take on the Dakar, but they like don't know, you know, if they're capable of doing it, they don't know anyone. They don't like, for me, I just don't, I just didn't know anyone here that did what I wanted to do. Cause I was always riding on my own overseas and yeah. I was really isolated. So I made this event to bring people together and it was a huge success. Um, so yeah, that's probably the, the, and so next year I'll do it again, do a better job. I have seven, um, I've partnered up with like a college here, got seven college students who are working with me on it. And then um, I'll start rolling it out into different states around Australia and give other people the opportunity to come and then take it overseas, which would be cool. Oh, wow. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. So, um, so what was the whole idea there? So you said you had what a hundred riders, eh? Uh, I reckon in terms of riders, probably like, honestly, I don't know because we so screwed up when people were coming in that I had a volunteer and he didn't know how to use like the software. So he was just like taking people in, but roughly like say 60 days, 70. 70, Okay. And then what did you do? And what did you do for the rally? I mean, what was that? Did you go um, oh, for okay. a tour and where did you, st- did you stay somewhere okay. or what was the... No, so this is the reason why it's really special because I had no idea how to do one of these things. And when you don't know how to do anything, you don't have any, uh, like, you don't have any idea of how anyone's done it before. So you just do it in a way that feels right to you. And so I did it in this really wacky way where I was like, well, okay, I want to charge people like the most minimum amount, like what would be, I want to make this accessible for people. So that means not leaving people who don't have money out. So let's make it really cheap. Most uh, rallies, adventure rallies are like 500 to thousands of dollars for the weekend. Mm. I'm like, that's not achievable for an everyday person who just wants to see if they can have a go. All right, I'll make it like 60 bucks. And so just basically, if if I only had 60 bucks per person, I was not going to have enough money to do all this crazy stuff. So I was like, all right, I need to make it accessible for beginners to advanced riders, or I'll just like make three different routes, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And on one day I got people to go out on the tracks and you have to find these checkpoints. And for every checkpoint you find your own points. And the more points you have, the more chances you have of winning prizes. And you can get points in other ways as well. You can do, we had like an enduro challenge, like a Gymkhana, I think other people call it Motokana. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And like a slow race and all these other crazy stuff. And that all earned you points. And the reason I did that is because I didn't have the money for the, like, if you want to call it a competition here in Australia, um, you need to have like a special license. You have to have all this insurance and stuff. And I was like, right. oh, we, I can't, we can't afford that if we're 60 mm. bucks. So we'll just be real creative about it and we'll do it this way. And that's why it's super special. Cause it's like, there's no other rally that's like this. Cause it, <laughs> I know, cause I made this thing and it, it shouldn't run this way, but it does. And everyone loves it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's great. And then what, what was it over a couple of days or, or just was it just yeah. one day? It's a three day event. It was Friday night until Sunday about midday. Yeah. Okay. People came. It's about like two to three hours from Melbourne. Um, so this next one is just an hour away. From, it's four hours away from Melbourne. So an hour onwards, because the thing is you need to find different routes every time. So we've switched yeah. to a new location. This new campsite is huge. It's massive. Um, so we're going to have, on the Friday night, um, people, they come down and it's the opportunity to learn. So we teach them how to use a road book. That's something I didn't mention is that for the routes that people take, they have to use a road book only. And a road book, uh, if you, I don't know if you know, is yeah, like a like series a, of directions. A, yeah. a map, yeah. map book. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a series of directions without the actual visual direction. It's like yeah. turn left here, um, turn <laughs> right at the XX meters. Um, yeah. So. They have that on their phones. They have the option if they want to use their own um, nav equipment. But we just give people on, on their phones. Um, and, yeah, so on the Friday night, we teach them how to do that because actually it's a skill. So going into a rally and learning how to ride in a rally like this, it's actually uh, more about your navigation skills than it is about your actual riding skills. You'll be mm. the fastest rider if you can take the right route. So. We teach people on Friday night how to do that. We teach them how to, I guess, be safe. Um, and we also just um, try and create like an inclusive environment. People can get to know each other. There'll be assigned teams this time. So people will not only have a chance to win a group prize, but also win a team prize. And you'll just randomly be assigned to a team as well, which I think is going to be fun. And then Saturday, uh, this time around, I'll be taking people out. It's directly into the bush, the campsite. So you can either go on your own or you can come with me. Um, so take people an hour to where we're going to have like a central spot and all the rides will go from there. And then um, at the end of the day, we'll come back and we'll have like enduro 
course and some people riding and you can have a go and um, prizes and stuff. And then on the Sunday, I think we're doing like bonus, bonus rides. Mm. Okay, great. And then <clears throat> just like for you in terms of adventure riding, I mean, are you basically self-taught or did you at some stage go for some um, off-road riding skill yeah, no, training? I've never or... done any training ever with anything. <laughs> Um, I probably have a lot of really bad habits, but, uh, I, you know, lately I've been really trying to get better. I mean, I, I would say, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm an advanced, I'm not advanced. I'd say I'm intermediate rider now. Like, I'm, okay. you know, it depends on the surface. So I think you can like, I'm very good at certain surfaces, like for yeah. example, loose rubble. I'm very good yeah. at that. Cause I've been on the slopes of Nepal so many times and Morocco is the same thing. It's always that really loose shale stuff. And yeah. if you get comfortable with that, all you do is slide around it and kind of like put your foot down and grit your teeth and get up and whatever. The stuff I'm practicing now, I'm practicing sand, um, I'm practicing logs, I'm practicing mud. They're the stuff I've never really had the chance because Australia is like so dry as mm. well. Um, but yeah, lots of that stuff, just trying to get better at different, different obstacles. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no training. I think... It, it's wise to do training though. I think it's a yeah. good idea. I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I think if, it, especially if like you can make life so much easier for yourself doing mm. the training first, I just had to fall over a million times to learn the lessons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's also, um, for me, it's always about confidence because if I've been riding t uh, tar for a while and then I haven't done dirt and then I go onto dirt, it takes me about 20 minutes or half an hour just to get back into the groove, you know, just, Oh, change the yeah. mindset about breaking and your weight and where to put it when you're cornering and that kind of thing. I think, um, you know, also, you know, like if people have done training before and they just know some of the basics in terms of, especially when you're riding a adventure motorcycle on dirt, you know, the, you know, the, like the fundamentals just makes it so much easier to build up their confidence a lot quicker. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I would yeah. even say though, like, it's pretty standard to not be able to ride a bike properly on dirt for like a day. Like if you've been riding road and then you suddenly go to dirt, you know, assume that that day you'll suck. And then the next day it'll be better again. Like yeah, I, I need yeah. a, yeah. Um, yeah. And the same is for changing bikes. You know, if you're used to riding on like a little bike and then you get on a big dirt bike, it's going to take you a while. Yeah. <laughs> like a day. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so your current bike at the moment is the, the 400, is it the 400 Himalaya, right? Yeah. For, yeah. For, yeah, 400, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's my, my, pretty much my go-to. So, like, a lot of the riding I'll be doing is probably going to be over this side of the world the next, this year and next year, just because of coronavirus. Like, I can't really leave too far from home, especially yeah. with the rallies and stuff. I need to be able to get back. And Australia's got, a, like, a limit right now of people allowed back in. We still can't, lots of people can't get home. So, um, I'll be riding Himalayan because in Asia, like it's a popular bike because India is in Asia. Um, mm. but I also have a DRZ 400 that I use for all of my enduro training. And my goal is to not only keep on traveling, but also to start racing and to start racing in international rallies like Hellas and those things. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, and um, tell me about you, that, that Nepal trip that you did. I mean, you, uh, what bikes did you do that on? Also Enfields. Uh, so the first time I did that first trip with the documentary, I did it on Enfield. That's on a, a classic 500. And okay. that was a huge mistake. Um, as if anyone who's seen the documentary would see, it's a <laughs> terrible mistake taking those bikes. Um, but then, and I also blame Andy who came with me because he's the one that wanted to take those bikes. And I told him, oh, really, they say not to use them. Um, yeah, so took those. I then went another time and I took Himalayans and um, I destroyed mine. Um, destroyed it. it w I had a bad one actually. I just had a bad bike and um, the altitude was really getting to it and it wasn't functioning properly. And I had like okay. no air in my tires and I was struggling. So crashed a lot. But um, <laughs> yeah, so they're the bikes I take to Nepal. Yeah. So, uh, because I see the guys when they do some of those, those Himalayan tours, they, um, they actually use the carbureted, um, yeah. bikes instead of the fuel injected ones. I mean, the, is that, well, are those better? Or no, not well, no, they're not at all. Um, the fuel injected <laughs> is way better, uh, especially, oh, really? especially for that situation. Problem is in okay. Nepal that they have a really high tax on anything from overseas. And I think that's the case, especially for Indian bikes. For any okay. bikes, but I think there's a huge tariff, a huge um, fee. So 
in Nepal, it's actually more expensive to buy Himalayan than it is in Australia. It's absorb. It's it is a huge cost when you think about the cost of like a Nepal a Nepali gets paid so little, and because of tourism, they have to pay so much now for like just normal food um, and everything. Uh, it's it's quite crazy. I don't I don't actually know how they survive really, but yeah, that's mm. why that's probably why they use those bikes is because they haven't got the FI there or it's expensive. Yeah. Cool. And then, so now tell me about your, um, your Kickstarter. You said that towards the end of October, you're going to launch the Kickstarter. And is that for your India trip? Yeah, that's for the yeah. India documentary. So okay. basically like, I, I just want to create really, I want to create really beautiful productions and content for people to watch stuff that like people, uh, stuff that's super real. Like it's not at all staged. Um, but it's like, something that people haven't seen before and, and shot really beautifully anyway so the kickstarter is to raise the rest of the funds for that um we just need to raise like ten thousand australian dollars to pay my editor essentially mm. and if i can just raise that and i can prove like I'll, I'll have a piece that i can show and then from there things should really grow like it's really hard when you don't have anything people are just relying on your word so if i you know produce this piece we get it going. That's actually 16 episodes, I think. We got to figure out how many, but I think it's around 16. And um, once we have this, then we can go, all right, here you go in like Netflix. This is what we made. We made it with nothing. We made this with like no cash at all. Like mm. we got half from Royal Antwerp and we need 10,000 from like for post-production. And then like the rest was self-funded and we shot it and it was all goodwill of everybody. And um, if we can just have that one done, I think, I think it would be, yeah good that would be great and then would you want to if it's successful and you can get it onto netflix is that like something you want to continue doing is continue oh, creating yeah. these documentaries that would be like an absolute dream of mine is to just be able to show people the lifestyle that changed my life really mm. um before i was doing this i just don't think i was living in a way that was really making me happy and now like regardless of whether i'm writing or not i'm actually really happy and, uh, and I'm living in a way that like feels real to me. And so I want to be able to take people and show them like what that's like, whether that be come with me and I'll show you, but it's like impossible for me to take many people. I can't, I can only take so many people. So, okay, I do events, but I can only have so many people at events. Well, I'll shoot documentaries and then everybody can see. And no matter if you ride a bike or if you don't ride a bike, you can still see what it's like. And maybe, maybe you're somebody that just needs to see that. Like, and then you, it changes how you see yourself, right? You think, oh, like I could, you know, I'm not happy in, in my job, but, and I could never do that. And then you see just an average person, like I'm a female, I'm not anything super strong. And then you see that and you're like, well, she can do it. I can do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, great. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. I'm like really passionate about that stuff, getting people to do things that they don't think that they can do. And it's such a joy watching people succeed. No, yeah absolutely yeah so with that open roads thing uh, you um i see on your website you've got um, some tours listed there i mean how many of those tours have you done before sort of the lockdown that we've had now oh god yeah all those tours on there haven't like been able to happen they're all okay. for this year so oh, yeah. right. i had like oh, no. i had a plan i had two in india two in nepal one new one in Mongolia. So every year I'm going to try and do one big documentary and probably invite people to come. So mm. next year I've got this crazy idea. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. This is the plan for next year. If I can is to try and do like an amazing race style on motorbikes through Indonesia and film it. So I invite people from around the world, like get one person, only one person from each country. Um, and then see what happens when we give them instructions to go to random places and we just shoot and see what happens. Mm. so i'll probably do one of those tours per year which is like it's a cheaper tour because you'll be being filmed um so you know that's like good for me good for you um and then there'll probably be like a couple that i just love to do like i'll probably always go to nepal but yeah. um yeah did two last year india and nepal oh i did some other stuff too last year was a blur <laughs> last year was a blur <laughs> i think this year's a blur <laughs> as well yeah i don't know about it's weird trying to be normal yeah yeah no, it's it's well and also i mean with, i mean we haven't been riding like i'm i feel like a bit of a hermit at the moment because i've got so used to yeah. like parking off at home and then like now yeah it's, it's like, 
Well, I mean, I had this, yeah, I had this like shock where, and I had to get through it at the start of the year where I started thinking maybe I, I wasn't going to be that person anymore. And the person that I had built myself up to be this, you know, you know, adventurous person who was living on this really fucking amazing present life. Like maybe that wasn't going to happen for me anymore. Maybe that was gone. And I, I was really afraid of that. I don't think though that's true. I think though you can get accustomed to whatever you're doing for a long period of time. So yeah. it's going to be harder to get back into what I was doing. But I think as soon as I start, it'll, it'll be okay. And that's yeah, probably yeah, simple. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. see you around. Thanks very much. Yeah. Right. There you have it. That was uh, Jessica's episode. I hope you enjoyed that one. Don't forget to check the show notes to find the links to all her social media, especially the YouTube channel. Go watch some of her uh, videos that she has created. And that, my friends, is the end. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>